you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we've uh, been trying to get back into the study in Ephesians. <clears throat> uh, we were, at the end of last year, wrapped up chapter 2, and uh, finally, finally getting in chapter 3, and uh, want to look at <clears throat> specifically verses 2 down through verse 7. Uh, it's interesting that in verses 2 down through verse 7, it's kind of a summary in one sense of what he's been saying up to this point. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to start with reading Ephesians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1, and just read down through verse 7. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Ephesians 3, 1. Uh, This is what Paul says. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. You may have heard of the administration of the grace of God, which was given me for you, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have written briefly already, by which, when you read it, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. How the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members and partakers of the promise promise in Christ by the gospel. Of this I was made a minister according to the grace, gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power." What an incredible passage. Uh, you, you know Paul's story, but Paul grew up. He was trained in the right religious schools. He was trained under the right tutelage. Uh, he, he grew up and had all the right religious training as a Pharisee. Uh, went down to Jerusalem, was trained under the best of the Pharisees. Uh, he became, as he says in Philippians chapter 3, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Meaning he wasn't just, well, he's a Pharisee. He's a woo Pharisee. Uh, You understand that the Jewish culture during the time of Paul uh, was so adamant against the Romans. Uh, The Romans had come in and they had taken over uh, Israel. And of course, the Jews were not very happy with the Roman occupation stuff. And during the time of Christ, it's interesting that the, the tensions between the Jews and the Gentiles was so severe I mean, this thing was so over the top that in the mind of a Jew, get this, this, just, this kills me. In the mind of a Jew, the only reason why God created the Gentiles, and you know, you know who the Gentiles are? You. <laughs> the only reason why God created the Gentiles was something had to be the fuel for the fires of hell. Bless the Lord. That is not how you make friends, by the way. But that that was the mindset of a Jew, that the reason that God created those Gentiles, hey, we're the chosen people, hey, they're, hey, they're, we're just, they're here. Well, why do we have to put up with them? Well, they're going to be fuel, fuel. You you understand that Paul grew up in that mindset, that he he was not a fan of, of of the Gentile thing. In fact, he was so severe, he was so religious, he was so intense in his, uh, his upbringing that anything that did not look like Jewish orthodoxy, he was adamant to destroy, which is what you see in the early years with this, like the stoning of Stephen stuff. That, that here is this group of people, the sect that's, 
these Jews becoming Christians and believing that the Messiah had come, that Paul says, hey, we've got, to, we've got to get rid of this stuff. And so he was going out of his way to literally remove every single voice that was not what he grew up with. Does that make any sense to you? Could you imagine what this must have been for Paul, Saul? On the way up to Damascus, he's riding his way. Why is he going to Damascus? Well, he's going to Damascus to kill the Christians, to persecute the church. And along the way, God shows up, kicks him off the horse, right? The donkey thing, and right, the big light, voice booming, blinded eyes. You know the story, right? Acts chapter 9. And Paul, well, Saul, became Paul. And we know he spent some time in Arabia, all that kind of stuff. But as he got into the mission field, do you know what God called him to? God called this Pharisee a Pharisee, one who couldn't even stand when the Jews were going off base, according to his religious thought process, that he was going to destroy them. Someone who utterly disliked the Gentiles, God called that man to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't that hilarious? So the ones that Paul despised, the one that Paul hated, the one that Paul would have grown up thinking was merely fuel for the fires of hell, Paul goes, you know who I'm called to? I'm called to that group. And he says that several times. In fact, let me just give you them because you don't look convinced. Uh, Romans eleven thirteen. Don't You don't have to turn here. Just hold your place. But just listen to these. Romans eleven thirteen. Paul says, For I am speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. 1 Timothy 2.7, Paul's talking about the gospel, and he says, For this, what, the gospel, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and do not lie. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Man, that's amazing. 2 Timothy 1.11, again, talking about the gospel, Paul says, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, when you come into Ephesians, Paul says in verse uh, 1, look at this, Ephesians 3.1, For this reason I, Paul, am the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He says, look, I'm in prison and we looked at this in the last study, which none of you were here for. But in the last study, it was interesting that here's Paul. He is a literal prisoner of Rome. And yet, isn't it interesting that he does, he does not declare himself a prisoner of Rome? He declares himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you turn over to verse 7, Paul says of this, this gospel, this declaration, this mystery, which we're going to get into, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Uh, if you go down to verse 13, it's interesting. He says, I do not ask, or, there, sorry, therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Isn't it interesting? Here is Paul in a prison cell in Rome writing this book, and he goes, Ah, oh, isn't this awesome? I am a prisoner on your behalf. And he was. He says, look, I have suffered. I have bleed. I, I've been scourged. I have been, I, I've been shipwrecked. I, I am in prison because I have been an apostle to the Gentiles. 
And, and why, why were the Jews all getting bent out of shape? Because he was saying that the Gentiles had access to the exact same thing the Jews did. And they weren't too happy about that. He says, here I am. I'm in prison. But I am not a prisoner of Rome. Wouldn't it be interesting if we saw our life situations not through the lens of the physical, not through the lens of, well, Rome has me in, in, in a prison cell, but rather, whoo, God has me here for an opportunity. And I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And this is actually an opportunity. But isn't it interesting? Here is Paul, this man who has just been doggedly going after everything that's not Jew, saying, guess what God's done in my life? So here he is in a Roman prison cell writing the book of Ephesians. Now, again, he starts this section that we're in, chapter 3, by saying, for this reason. Well, what reason is he writing? Oh, it's chapters 1 and 2. So if you're going to understand why he's saying what he's saying, you've got to understand chapters 1 and 2, which has been a lot of sermons, but I'll have to summarize it for you. You ready? So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, is a blessing section. And Paul says, hey, you are blessed. And every single blessing that God has for you is found in Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal. Uh, he gets into chapter uh, verse 15, and verse 15 down through verse 19, he's praying a prayer. And his prayer is basically, hey, that you will get all wrapped up in Jesus. In verse 19, it's interesting, uh, look at chapter 1, verse 19. Paul is talking about the surpassing greatness of the power of God that is working. And it's interesting, here is Paul mid-prayer, and in the middle of the prayer, he suddenly turns and starts preaching. Sounds like some of you when you pray. Uh, so here's Paul. He's praying, and he's talking about this overwhelming power of God. And in the midst of talking about the power of God, he goes, oh, let me give you some illustration. This is incredible. And he never finishes his prayer. He never says amen. And so here's Paul. He's talking about the power of God. And he says, hey, do you understand that the power of God is indescribable? I mean, like, how, how are you going to understand the power of God? In fact, Paul uses four different Greek words for the word power in that one verse, trying to describe the power of God. And then he gives several illustrations of this. Illustration number one is verse 20 down through the end of the chapter. He says it's the life of Christ. Do you understand that when you look at the resurrection, the ascension, the position that Christ has, it is a demonstration of God's power? That's incredible. In chapter 2, verses 1 down through verse 10, he gives a second illustration, which is your life. He says, do you not realize that your life is a picture, a demonstration of the power of God? Why? Because here you are dead in your sins, and what has God done in you? He raised you into the newness of life. And if that wasn't good enough, and it would have been, but if that wasn't good enough, he then brought us into the heavenly realms, seated us in Christ Jesus, and now we are seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. Paul says that's a demonstration of the power of God in your life. Tell your faces, that's good news for some of us. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 down to the end of the chapter, he gives a third illustration, which is the church. And it's interesting, as you're walking through that idea of the church, it's interesting. Again, Paul's saying, here are these Jews, here are these Gentiles. And they despise one another. Hey, there is this dividing wall between the two of them. But what has Jesus done? Well, as a demonstration of God's amazing power, 
he took these two groups that hated each other and made them one. And he, he removed every dividing wall and every hostility. And Jesus himself is our peace. Now, is it interesting that we don't have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians? We have Christian. Do you know how cool that is? Which tells you when we get to heaven, I'm sorry, there will not be a single Lutheran Christian that made it to heaven. Nor will there be a single Pentecostal Christian in heaven. They're not making it. Baptist? Mm-mm. You may go through the list. I mean, I don't care how you grew up. That ain't coming. Why? Because in heaven, do you realize that all those divisions, all the denominational stuff, you're not going to have the Jewish quarter and the Baptist quarter and the Lutheran quarter and the Presbyterian quarter. I know there's, suddenly I'm running out of quarters, right? But the Pentecostal quarter, we're not going to have that in heaven, folks. Do you know what we're going to have in heaven? Christian. And there's going to be unity and oneness in Christ. And if I can make a cultural statement, we have all this bickering going on about all this contentious stuff and racism stuff and all this. Do you know what the solution to that is? You only got one solution. And by the way, the world needs to see that happen in the church first. I I think so. And if I can't stand those Baptists or I can't stand those Lutherans, I can't stand those Pentecostals. Well, then you don't want to go to heaven. Just don't go. Because the reality is that Christ is removing all that stuff and he's making us one. Which was Jesus' prayer in John 17, by the way. That we, as the body of Christ, should be one as the Father and Jesus are one. That's intense. That is an incredible demonstration of the power of God, which our world needs to see today. And so that's the third illustration. As you come into chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul gives the fourth illustration of the power of God. He says, you know, do you want to know what a demonstration of the power of God looks like? Look at my life, says Paul. And you actually see that uh, in verse 7. He's talking about this grace, this gift. He says, of this I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul says, do you know what God's done in my life? A demonstration of power. Me who always hated the Gentiles, me, who couldn't stand the Christians, me, a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Jew of Jews. God has radically come into my life, turned my world upside down, and now, not, I don't just love these people, I am an apostle to these people. I'm, in, I'm suffering, I am bleeding, I'm in prison for this group of people. Now, you gotta, you gotta admit, that is a demonstration of God's power. For God had taken an individual 
so radically changed them that the people who were once the enemies, the people who once were hated, are now the people that he is zealously, passionately going after for Jesus Christ. Do you think God could do the same thing in our lives? Now, Paul says in verse 2, he says, You may have heard of the administration of the grace of God which was given to me for you. That there's this administration that God gave Paul. Uh, In verse 7, he uses the language minister of the grace, this grace, this gift of grace. Paul says, do you know what I am? He says, I am in this administration. Some translations say dispensation. Uh, Some translations uh, say stewardship. The word word in the Greek is really fascinating for this administration of the gift or this dispensation of the gift. The word has this idea that, that Paul did not come up with the grace. He does not dictate the grace. He's not in charge of the grace. He just has been given the grace, and he's going to steward, be a vessel through which that grace can flow through. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, Sandy is the administrator of Ellerslie. Which means if something's going to happen around here, guess who it has to go through? Don't talk to Eric. Go to Sandy. Why? Because she's the administrator. And she is the channel through which all things Ellerslie flow through. Nod your heads. That makes sense. Right? Uh, there's a steward idea, which we don't, we don't use that language, but we use the word stewardship. Right? What's stewardship? You don't own it. Uh, for example, your money. It's my money. No, it's not. It is not your money. It's God's money. You are a steward Well, I give God 10%. That's not what he asked. He's not asking for 10%. Do you know what he's asking for? All of it. Because it's his. Now, he's going to let you steward it. Meaning what? You better use it for the purposes that he has for that. So if you're buying your lattes, your chai teas, I don't buy that stuff. So if you're feeling convicted, that's, that's not my problem. Well, is there anything wrong with buying a coffee? No, of course not. But that's God's money. Does that make sense, though? (laughs) Hey, there's a stewardship of that. Paul says, you know what God's given me? God has given me this gift of grace. Now, I don't own it. I didn't come up with it, but I steward it. I, it's been placed in my hands, and then I bring it over to someone and say, hey, you've got to have this. And he's the vessel through which this thing flows through. He's, he's this channel, if you will. So look at this. He says, you may have heard of this administration, this stewardship, this dispensing of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Verse 3, how by revelation God made known to me the mystery as I, as I have written briefly already. So God has only given me this overwhelming mystery, which I've already been mentioning. Now, he does use that idea of mystery in chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, making known to us the mystery of his will. 
But this whole thing, and I just walked through it with you, all of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is talking about this mystery. Uh, all that he's describing. You know what a mystery is, right? Uh, in Paul's day, there were two different understandings of mystery. Uh, there was the typical idea of mystery, which was something that you had to be initiated into. Uh, for example, when I was a little kid, I learned a few magic tricks. Like, like sleight of hand, illusion, not, not like magic tricks. I should clarify, it's the church. <laughs> right? It's just, you know, just these little trick things. And one of the things they told you is, okay, if you're going to start learning sleight of hand kind of stuff, you don't tell a single person. This is a special mystery that we're initiating you into. That's not this idea. And that idea was propagated all over the, all over the place in Paul's day. There was that kind of mystery. But this kind of mystery is only a mystery because it has not been revealed to you. In other words, it could be sitting out in plain sight, but you're like, I don't get it. Why? Because you haven't had the revelation, the insight, to receive that mystery. Paul says in verse 7 that the Spirit of God is being, has made known to us this mystery, that the Spirit of God is, is, is unveiling this mystery. And Paul says, here I am. I, I am this steward, this administrator of the gift of God, this grace of the Lord, and he, by revelation, verse 3, has made known. So think about this. By revelation, that word actually has this idea of a veil. It's like pulling back the curtain of something. Uh, you go to a fancy restaurant, never been, but go to this fancy restaurant, right? They had those covers over the, over the dish, probably to keep it warm, right? Or to hide it. To hide the prices, so they figure might as well have the food. <laughs> Right, But you, you come to these fancy restaurants, and, and they get to your table, and then what do they do? Wah! Right, The smoke billows, and you're like, whoa, I'm paying a lot of money for that. Right? That, that's, that's been revealed. That's the idea of the word. Uh, you're, you're, you're somewhere, and there's a curtain, and the curtain pulls back, and suddenly what was behind the curtain has now been revealed. That's this idea. Paul says, you know what God has done in my life? The Spirit of the Lord has come into my life, pulled back the curtain, lifted off this thing, and has unveiled, revealed, he has made known to me this mystery. And the word they're known, you'll never guess what word that is. It's the word gnosko, which is not just insight. It's not just factual understanding. This is, he has made known to me at the very depths of my being, and I have experienced I have intimately come to an understanding of this mystery. Why? Because it's been unveiled. By the way, it's been unveiled to you too. That the Spirit is unveiling this mystery in your life. Which then begs the question, what then is this mystery? Don't you want to know? Nobody, okay. <laughs> well, I'm excited. Uh, what is this mystery? Uh, it's interesting. Again, he says, I've written about this briefly already. In, in verse 9 and 10, if you go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 9, again, he's talking about this idea of the mystery in chapter 1. And it's in this blessing section, but Paul says one of these blessings that you have is that he is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Get this, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are on earth. 
Could you imagine? Do you realize that God has a plan? Do you realize that God has an agenda? Do you realize that God has a thrust? Well, what is that? What, what, what is the whole focus of God's plan? Jesus. I know you're like, that doesn't sound like a great mystery. Oh, it is. It's an incredible mystery. In fact, not only is he trying to unite all things together in Christ, but again, if you look at chapter 2, you see that taking place in the church. That he's bringing all this together. That there's this peace. There's this unity. There's this oneness that is taking place in the body of Christ. What is that? That is the purpose, folks. Well, an aspect. Maybe I'll say it that way. An aspect of this purpose. Uh, you, you come over to uh, Ephesians 3, verse 6. Paul summarizes this whole thing to you. He says, again, uh, look, at, uh, look at verse 5. Ephesians 3, verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. Hey, up until this point, this thing, has been, this thing has been hidden. It's been in plain sight. In fact, if you want to go through that, I had a whole bunch of studies in chapter 1, verse 9, looking at the mystery hidden in the Old Testament. Do you realize that in every page of this book, God is screaming one thing in your face, Jesus. But they missed it. But the moment that Jesus came on the scene, it's like, now you can look back and go, wow, that's all about Jesus. Oh, that's about Jesus. Oh, that's about Jesus. Oh, hey, that's about Jesus. Hey, that's about Jesus. So the, revel- or the mystery has always been there, but now it's being revealed. And so Paul says, hey, do you not understand that, that in past ages, yeah, we may have missed it, but now God is making this, uh, it is revealed by the Spirit. Look at verse 6. He summarizes this mystery. He says, how the Gentiles are the fellow heirs and fellow members and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. He says, you know what this mystery is? The Gentiles are getting in. By the way, that's a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, 1 through 3, where God looks at Abraham and says, Abraham, do you not realize I am choosing you? Abraham goes, me? <laughs> God goes, yeah, but not for you. I'm choosing you for me. I'm not choosing you because you're special. I'm choosing you that in you, the whole world may be blessed. Hey, through you, I'm, I'm, I'm going after the world. Now, the Jews took that and made it very selfish. Hey, we're the chosen people. They forgot that the reason they were chosen is so that what God, when, when, sorry, when the world looked at what God was doing through the Jews, the whole world would go, we want that. We want that God. We need him. And do you realize that what Jesus has fulfilled is the promise that God gave Abraham? If you need more information, talk to Sandy. Seriously, she's done this whole study. It's, a, it's beautiful on, the, on this idea. So here's Paul saying, hey, there is this incredible mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, and now it's being unveiled and revealed to us. Well, what is, what is that revelation? What is that mystery all about? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if you want something more specific than that, then the mystery is, is that my life, even as a Gentile, is in Christ, and Christ gets to be in me. Please contain your excitement and stay seated. That's phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, we should be running the aisles with white hankies. 
if, we, if this is the good old days, you know. But folks, do you not understand that there's this mystery that's been unveiled to you? What's the mystery? Jesus. And very specifically, he wants to be everything in your life. He wants your life. Do you realize that is all over Scripture? Uh, let me just give you two of my all-time favorite places in Scripture. Uh, in Romans chapter 11, Paul is concluding his section, uh, this big discourse of chapters 1 through 11. And at the end of it, he gives this phenomenal declaration, phenomenal declaration. And listen to what he says, Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and, unha- and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. Now get this. Here's the concluding statement. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And I've said this before, but man, if you want a summary verse for the entirety of Scripture, if you, want entirety, uh, if you want a summary verse for the entirety of your life, if you want a summary verse for ministry, if you want a summary verse for marriage, if you want a summary verse for, for, uh, for family, if you want a summary verse, well, what, what's a good summary verse for that? Oh, for from him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory. What's your life all to be about? From him? Through him, to him. Well, I'm down at a job. What should my job be all about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. Well, I'm a minister. Well, what should, what should my ministry be about? Well, hello, from him, through him, to him, for his glory. This isn't about building your church. This is about Jesus. Well, what's my marriage supposed to be? From him, through him, to him. What about my family? From him, through him, to him. Are you getting this? It's a mystery, but it's been revealed. This is all about Jesus, folks, and what he is wanting to do with our lives. Hey, all right, stay there. If you want another one of these, I have this another favorite. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Listen to what Peter says about this whole thing. Man, this is incredible. <clears throat> Second Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power has given to us all things. Do you know what the word all in Greek means? Yeah, all. Which means everything, right? His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now tell me, what do you need outside of life and godliness? Yeah, I can't think of anything else either. So everything you need for life, everything you need for godliness is found in one place. What is it? Jesus. So his, get this, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Now get this, by which he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises so that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
Amen. Thank you. Do you realize that you and I have everything we need in Jesus? And it is because of Jesus that we get to partake of the divine nature. You don't become God. So get off of that. But somehow, I get to partake of him. I get to share his life. By the way, do you know what we call that? Christian. Because there is no Christian outside of that. Because Christianity isn't just mental ascent stuff. Christianity is not just a belief system. Christianity is relationship and life, sharing life, this abundant life with him. And do you realize that everything that you need for life and godliness is found in him? And because of him, you get to partake of his divine nature. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, that was so exciting. Let me give you one more. I know I said two. I'm going to give you three. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. If you, have, if you have your Bible, slip over a page or a couple pages to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians is really interesting. They, they follow each other really similarly. In other words, they have a lot of, uh, Paul's given a very a, a similar discourse in both books. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 about this whole idea of the mystery, about this whole idea of of Jesus Christ being first. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Get this. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things, do you know what the word all in Greek means? Yeah, it means all. And by the way, things is actually not in, in the translation. It's actually not in the Greek So really, a better translation is, so that in all, he may have the preeminence. So if your Bible has things, cross that out. (laughs) Do you hear what Paul is saying? That Jesus is in this position of headship. That uh, 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 he's the head of the body, the church. He is the very beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in all, in everything, he may have the preeminence. If you're like, I don't know what that word means. It means he is in the first place. He is the center. He is the big deal. He is the heartbeat. He is the thrust. He is the... Why? From him, through him, to him. Paul goes on in verse 19. He says, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell and to reconcile all things to himself by him, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him I say, whatever, whether they are things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 21, and you, get this, who are formerly alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and not removed from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have been made a servant of it according to the commission of God. Hear this language again? That he is a steward, he is this commissioner he's this dispenser he is this administrator 
which has been given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery. What do you think he's talking about? Even the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. To them, God would, God would make known what is the glorious riches of this mystery. Paul says, do you know how good this mystery is? This mystery has riches. Not money. It's far better than money. Because this riches is a person. It's relational. Hey, what are the riches of this mystery among the nations? Well, what's the mystery, Paul? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. Do you not realize that Paul says there is this incredible mystery that God has been unveiling and revealing in your life? Well, what's the mystery? Jesus. Yeah, would you get all wrapped up in Jesus? Hey, would your life get consumed with Jesus? Hey, would you just let him go all over you? Because everything you need for life and godliness is found in him. For from him and through him and to him are all things, to his glory. That in everything he might have the preeminence. Paul says there's this phenomenal mystery, which is Jesus. And the fact that I, even as a Gentile, get to partake and participate in this overwhelming mystery, which is Jesus. Isn't that incredible? I don't know how you guys are still sitting down. Uh, Come back into Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, let me tell you about a demonstration of God's power. God took my life as a persecutor of the Christians, as a, as a hater of the Gentiles, and God's done such an incredible work in my life that I am no longer the same person. In fact, I am now uh, an apostle of the Gentiles. I am now a steward of this grace. That's an incredible reality to me. If, if God can change the life of this one man who didn't just dislike the Gentiles, hated the Gentiles. If he, if he could change this one man who was adamant against anything but what he grew up in, if he could change this one man and don't you think he can get it to anybody? I mean, if I was in Paul's day, and say I was on the outside skirts looking at the whole stoning of Stephen thing, I would have looked at Paul, Saul, and said, of all the people here, that's probably the one God can never reach. I mean, how many people in my life have I done that to? Recently, I've, I've had that thought for a lot of people. <laughs> and I hate to admit that, but I'm, I'll watch the news and certain names pop up, and there's this internal, oh. Don't look at me that way. You have that too. <laughs> I won't say the names. I'll try not to say the names. But you know, the, you know some of these names. 
And you look at some of these people, especially in the government or especially in entertainment or especially in whatever the arena might be, and you're just like, you know what? They are a hopeless cause. Lord, just silence the voice. But what if, what if God could actually change their life? And what if there is a Paul of Paul in this generation that we know by Saul that needs a transforming movement of God? Like, why don't we pray for these people? I'm, I'm serious. If God could do that for Paul, I don't think anyone's excluded. But maybe for it to hit a little bit closer to home, have I actually experienced this in my life? Isn't it interesting? Look at verse 2 again. Paul says, you may have heard of this administration, this stewardship idea, this dispenser idea. That, yeah, God has given me this grace, and I'm a dispenser. I'm a steward. I'm an administrator of this. Again, he repeats this in verse 7 when he says, of this, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Yeah, of, of the same grace, I am the minister. What do you think of when you hear that term? I don't know about you, but I think important person, minister. Don't you? I mean, in terms of hierarchy, right, we have, you know, we have pond scum, It's on the bottom <laughs> for most of us, right? And th- then you have, like, teenagers. <laughs> Truth hurts. I'm just, <laughs> right? And then you have, like, all the laymen, right? Then you have missionaries, and then you have evangelists, and then you have ministers, Do you realize that's not what that word means? How this word, if you're actually going to give it a, a hierarchy, you would have uh, missionaries. There is no hierarchy, just for clarification. <laughs> maybe I should say it on the front end, just to clarify. But say you have missionaries and laymen, teenagers, pond scum. Then you have this word. Uh, This word has this idea of a servant. Do you know what a minister is? A servant. Uh, This word, actually, when you look at the word, this word, the word itself actually has this idea of the waiter at the table. Have you ever gone to a restaurant? And you get to the restaurant and the, the person comes to your table to wait on you. And you say, yes, I would like this order, and uh, yeah, I want this drink. And they go, great, I'll, I'll go get that for you. Do you realize they do not make the food? All they do is take the food from the cook and bring it over and set it on your table. Waiter at the table. They're a servant. Paul says, do you know what I have become of the grace of God? a waiter at a table. That I don't produce the grace, I don't dictate the grace, 
I, I, I cannot control the grace. All I do is I go to God. He puts it upon my plate. I come over and I hand it to you and say, oh, you need this. And I'm merely a servant of this grace. And like a good waiter at the table, make sure you tip your minister. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We're open to it, but we're just... just. <laughs> Wouldn't it be interesting if we had that same mentality? See, has the mystery of God actually gripped my life? You know, it's easy if we've grown up in the church that we know when to stand up, we know when to sit down, we know the songs, we know the stories, we know the, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, we know all that. But has he gripped you? Has he consumed you? Has he just, are you living in the life of Christ? Do you actually, do you actually live as if everything you need for life and godliness is found in him? Or are you looking outside for something else? I look at the church today, and it's like, well, yeah, it's all about Jesus, but I also need this, whatever that might be. Well, yeah, I, I need Jesus, but I also need, and we can give you countless illustrations of that. Yeah, we need to, we need to go back to the law. No, you don't. Well, I, I, I need miracles, wonders, and signs. No, you don't. Isn't it interesting, in Matthew chapter 7, here are these people who came up to Jesus and says, Woo, Jesus, we prophesy, we have miracles, wonders, and signs. And Jesus says, yeah, but we never had this together. So depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now that convicts me because, hey, I want to prophesy, I want to do miracles, wonders, and signs. Woo! And if I saw that, I'd be like, woo, super Christian. Wouldn't you? And yet, apparently, that's not the determining factor. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with those. Miracles, wonders, and signs. But that's not the determining factor. What's the determining factor? Jesus. Isn't it interesting that in the church, it's like, well, yeah, I, I want this, but I also want this. What if I could just be content with Jesus and anything and everything he wants to do in and through my life? See, has the mystery actually gripped my life? Is my life truly a mystery to the world around me? I love that Ian Thomas quote. He says, if your life can still be explained in terms of you, whether it's your power, your wisdom, your resource, your talent, your ability, your whatever, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. And he goes on and says, for the only explanation for our life is supposed to be Jesus. That when the world looks at your life, they should go, I don't understand how you're living that way. I don't understand how you can have peace in the midst of chaos. I don't understand how you can have joy in the midst of despair. I don't understand how that one neighbor that drives all of us crazy, I don't understand how you can love that person. Are you a Christian? Because that's the only explanation I can have of this whole thing of how you're living your life. Is that true in you? Have you actually grasped the mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed? Christ in you, you in Christ, the hope of glory.
or are you trying to do the Jesus plus something? That's convicting. Maybe not for you. That's convicting for me. Perhaps one other thought. Could it be that just like Paul, sorry, just as God transformed Paul's life and took the people he hated, the people he despised, his enemies, and God gave Paul an enormous love and passion for that group of people, do you think God wants to do that in your life? Don't, don't you think the people that drive you crazy, don't you think the people that just irk you, don't you just think the people who have hurt you time and time again, don't you just think the people that, could God do such a deep work in your life that you became a steward, you became a waiter at the table, you became a dispenser of the grace of God in your world? Do you know what a dispenser is? I'll use a different word. Do you know what a diffuser is? Love diffusers. Got several all over, all over my house. Uh, years ago, my aunt got into the whole oil thing. And uh, she's like, Ethan, you need a diffuser. I said, okay, okay, I'll take one. And uh, so she gave me a diffuser. And, you know, you put the water in it. And you put a few drops of the oil in it. And you turn that puppy on. And I love it. It just spits at you. <laughs> right? You turn the thing on, just pss, pss, pss. And after about, you know, 30 seconds, it just, pss, 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 your whole room has that fragrance. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the diffuser just pss, 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 spits at you. Do you know that Paul uses that language for you as a Christian? You don't have to turn them. Let me just read this to you. But 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, Paul says, Now thanks be to God who always, get this, who always, do you know what the word always in Greek means? Oh, you guys are becoming scholars. Now, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. The Christian life is not one of defeat, folks. The Christian life is one of triumph. And through us reveals, that word reveals, is this idea of manifesting, has this idea of spreading, it's this idea of diffusing. Do you know what you are? You are a diffuser. And Paul says, Now thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God a sweet fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who perish. To one we are the fragrance of death, which brings death, and the other the fragrance of life, which brings life. Paul says, Do you know what you are? You are a diffuser. Now to the world, it smells like death. But to those who are of God, there's a sweet fragrance. Could it be that just as God used Paul as a diffuser, as a steward, as a servant of the grace to even the people that he once hated, don't you think God wants to do that in and through you? How are they going to hear unless God uses you to speak to them? They may not have anybody else to declare forth the wonders of the gospel of grace. And could it be that even though they just irk you, even though they just frustrate you, even though they just have hurt you, could it be that God wants to do something radical in your life 
to turn your world upside down so that now you can be the, the channel, the vessel through which he wants to bring forth his life and love, his grace, his gospel through. You are to go out into your world and spit all over them. You are to diffuse the fragrance of Jesus everywhere you go. Is that true in you? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord, I am just dumbfounded by the fact that you took a man named Saul and did such a phenomenal, transforming work in his life that not only was he a new creature, a new creation, but there was such a radical shift, he even had to change his name. And Lord, the people that he despised and the people that he just kind of rejected, the people that he always pushed aside, you gave him such a burden and a heart, a passion to see them one to you. And he became known as the apostle to the Gentiles. This steward, this servant, this vessel, this diffuser through which you wanted to use to bring forth the truth to the world. Lord, you have revealed a phenomenal mystery that has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed by your Spirit. Lord, not allow a single one of us to leave this room without having embraced this mystery, which is you. Lord, we don't want to just talk about you. We don't want to just know things about you. We don't want to just sing songs of you. We don't want to just tip our hat towards you. Lord, we want to know, intimately, relationally know you. Lord, we want to get wrapped up in you. Lord, we want you to be everything we need for life and for godliness. Lord, we want you to be preeminent in our lives. Lord, we want you to have center stage, first place, Jesus, could we, could we somehow increase and partake of your divine nature on a whole nother level? And Lord, we may have grown up in the church and we may have had great relationship with you all these years, but oh, Lord, I'm convinced it can go further. It can go deeper. Lord, would you woo our hearts afresh this morning? Would you somehow pull back more curtains in our lives and reveal the awesome wonder of the mystery, the depth of who you are, the, the richness of your life. And Lord, as we behold you, could we just oh, be captured and captivi- captivated by you afresh? And then Lord, could you do a radical transformation in each of our lives? Lord, could you make us stewards of your grace? Could you make us dispensers of your life and your love? Would you make us servants of the gospel that is willing to go into a world that may hate us and we are boldly willing to declare truth? So Lord, would you use our minds, use our hearts, use our tongues, our hands and our feet as vessels through which you can pour forth your truth through. Lord, don't let us merely talk about truth, let us live it. Lord, I pray that our life would truly become utterly inexplainable to the world around us. And the only explanation for how we live is you. 
Well, Lord, that's going to demand we get tight with you. So, Lord, would you press us all to a whole nother level this morning? Lord, don't let a single one of us give us give us give a, give an excuse for why we can't press into the, the greater realities of who you are. Lord, we thank you that the mystery has been revealed. And Lord, we do thank you for what you did in Paul's life. Because I'm a Gentile. And Lord, had you not changed this one man, who's to say if I would have ever heard the reality of your truth? But Lord, would you now do that in and through us? Love you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good. We praise in your holy and precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.